the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And let me uh, exercise the privilege of welcoming you on into this Wednesday edition of Lifeline, the 26th day of July. And... Uh, Lots going on on the program today. One of the things that I want you to stay tuned for, especially if you're involved in a leadership role in your local church, maybe you're a pastor or a member of the usher team, you know, we look at incidences. We look at events that happen. We look at the increased threats that we've seen across the country over the last 15, 20 years, uh, be it shootings at schools or shootings at uh, events and things of that sort. It's also happened at churches. What about your church? Are you prepared to deal with the unexpected? Are you in a position to be able to secure the safety of your parishioners? Well, there's a special workshop that's going to be conducted by Pacific Justice Institute, and Brad Dacus will be joining us a little bit later on to give us an update on how your church can participate. Also, we're joined by Lisa Burris-Burns. She is the co-lead author of Leading Ladies, Discovering Your God-Grown Strategy for Success, and uh, she'll share a bit with us today on the program about how to be a surrendered creative. What's that all about? Well, we'll riddle that one for you coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. We have for a number of weeks now been following the story of a recent decision by the Union City Council to approve its third marijuana Store To get some more background as to how this decision came about and what's happening in the city, we're joined by council member of Union City, Councilman Jeff Wang. And council member, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us today. I understand that this is now the third marijuana store in Union City. Give us a little bit of understanding as to why Union City is adding more and more stores when you've had a number of neighboring cities like Fremont, for example, that has steadfastly said, we're not interested in bringing this into our community. Give us your perspective on some of the history of all this. Sure. After marijuana and cannabis, legal in California, some people's request cannabis business in Union City, we allowed it to have a three licenses for five categories. One is a dispensary and the retail, and we also have a testing, manufacturing, distribution, and uh, cultivation in the five categories. Now we can have a 15 business. Wow. So it's beyond just the notion of having a retail sales location, but pretty much everything in the cultivation of the product to the harvesting, to the packaging, to the distribution. And we mentioned that this vote a couple of weeks ago in Union City, as this was brought to the floor for some discussion, you were a member of the city council who actually stood up and said, I'm going to recuse myself from this. Help our listeners 
understand why you made that decision and why you felt it was important to sort of make that kind of public statement, not only before the crowd that was gathered there of Union City residents, but even in front of your fellow members of the city council. Well, the reason I'm doing this, there are a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, we're allowed the cannabis and in Union City retail in Union City or not. We're talking about the locations. I am never agreed with the cannabis against them, my personal will. So vote for no initially and uh, we discuss the cannabis business and in Union City. So definitely say no. My votes will be no. In order to be fairly to discuss the not personal bios, I then I did to step out and that, that clearly means I can say no and for cannabis no matter what. Union City is a small city, 70,000 people. I'm never interested initially have this business, already have two. I personally I don't think we necessarily need to do the one. Clearly from some of the discussion put forward in the proposal voiced by the city manager, revenue into the city is a major motivating factor undoubtedly for those that voted in favor of this and specifically for listeners, the three voting in favor adding this third marijuana store included Mayor Carol Dutra-Vernacci. Councilmember Jaime Patino and Councilmember Scott Sakakihara with Councilmember Singh voting no and as he just mentioned Councilmember Jeff Wang recusing himself from the vote on moral grounds and I guess one of the things that has a lot of Union City folks up in arms is what you touched on a moment ago that it's not necessarily an outright objection. Yes, California voters voted in favor of recreational marijuana so it is now legal in our state though it still remains at the federal level a controlled drug substance but i think the the major concern has been the location unlike the other two marijuana stores that are located in predominantly commercial areas one even almost in, in an entirely industrial area of the city this would be the first one that is surrounded by residential it is in a very small strip mall but the only strip mall of its sort for many many blocks 75 feet from this particular location is residential housing for seniors single family dwellings multiple family dwellings it's all in a concentrated residential area and i think this is what is creating the degree of angst amongst residents from that neighborhood near cherrywood is the sense that the city council at least the three voting members that supported this decision seem to be ignoring the potential impact particularly in light of the fact there's been acts of violence perpetrated against the dispensary located on union city boulevard that had somebody even drive a car into their front windows in an attempt to try and rob it and then more recently, of course, the store located there at Union Landing, where they were the subjects of armed robberies that shot someone. For residents listening, they know your position. I've already mentioned that Vice Mayor Gary Singh voted against this proposal. For people that are wondering, how did this even get passed and why are the desires of the residents of that area of Union City having their needs being ignored, their safety being ignored how should people be responding to this definitely right and uh, i glad you mentioned Hayward. Hayward, the operation is much more and the city is more than double than the, the union city they only have a two why we need more than two compared with fremont fremont population is more than three times than us they have none i think it's just too much 
The second, that's a strip shopping centers. Just across the street is the very high density apartments and the next senior apartments. And also in the back, less than 20 feet is a residence. That's too close. And besides, there's a shopping mall, there's only have a 71 parking lot. You're expecting the over 1,000 people coming every day. That's what caused the big traffic jams. And we already experienced the problem with traffic on the the Dakota Road. Dakota Road is one of the heaviest the traffic and in the Union City. Yeah, undoubtedly so. And of course, residents of the area also know that there's frequently construction going on, road repairs, repairs to PG&E lines, things of this sort that's been going on for quite some time. And undoubtedly, residents in that neighborhood are wondering what's going to happen not only to their sense of peace and quiet enjoyment of their homes, but as well as protection of their children. I know that while technically Logan High School is not within the so-called protected zone, but can Council seem to completely ignore the fact that many of the children that attend Logan High School come over to the 7-Eleven store in the same complex, 35 feet away from this proposed marijuana recreational dispensary, and they come there to get snacks after school and get candy and refreshments and things of that sort. So to suggest that it won't be their children, as was suggested by the city manager, is just completely not accurate. For folks that are frustrated by this, how should they be responding? Is it best for people to continue to write and call your colleagues on the city council that voted in favor of this? Yes, July 11th. The meeting is only ask a city councilor to vote for the intended to awarded the permits. So the city still will do lots of work. They still will have the second hearing and more hearings, and they will put a condition after they improved it. And I will recommend the people talking to the city councilor, talking to the city and the police department as well, bring your concerns. Those concerns are all relevant. For example, the neighborhood is traffic, the parkings to closing to the schools and the closing to the residents. There's so many the crimes. We see the crimes increasing and like the union landing and recently and also there's another dispensary on the industry area in the Union City, the west side. So I want to encourage people continue raising the voice. We will ask people real concern and the city more responsible and we do need the, the money. Initially, the first year, they will have a 587000 in the revenues. Eventually, the five years, they will increasing the $1 million of revenue and beside the Union City is the middle class cities. I have a question about where those numbers come from. Yeah, you almost have to wonder uh, whether or not there is anything built into the city ordinance that requires operators of these facilities to be subjected to an annual public audit so that as much as the council, apparently at least your three colleagues, Sakakihara, Patino, and uh, Vernacci are excited about the potential revenue, I'm wondering if there's any independent way of being able to verify those revenue numbers. Are they just simply taking it on the word of the uh, recreational marijuana store that this is how much we earn and we're going to send you a check? I think there's some short-sightedness in that. The other point, too, perhaps, uh, Council Member Wayne, that you can speak to, some of the residents have voiced concerns saying that we get the fact that revenue is needed 
Union City has one of the highest sales tax rates in the Bay Area, and yet there are challenges in the budget. They understand that. But as much as there is opposition to the placing of this in a residential neighborhood, as much as it would be, hey, if we opened up a racetrack, that would bring additional revenue to the city coffers. But I don't think anybody wants to see a horse racetrack open up across the street from the church that they attend or the house their family lives in or the school that their child goes to. And I think that's the big objection here. The location of this is so diametrically opposed to the atmosphere in which the previous two locations are at that both have histories of break-ins and of, of violent robberies that residents are questioning the kind of wisdom that went into choosing this particular location and somehow three of your colleagues on the council thinking that this is okay in a residential area. I think that's where a lot of the frustration stems from. I just want the people, the residents, that you are the voters. You have your voice. We need to continue to fight those kind of criminals and the related with the cannabis is increasing and we need the revenue but we want to also consider the public safety as well this is more important than just the revenue raise your voice and come to the regular meetings and continue to talk about that council member jeff wang from union city we appreciate so much your candor and your time today thanks so much Thank you. And as Councilmember Jeff Wang says, it's important that you stand up and have your voice and your vote counted. In order to express your concerns, contact Mayor Carol Dutra Vernacci, Carol D at UnionCity.org. That's Carol D at UnionCity.org. You can also email Councilmember Jaime Patino. Jaime P at UnionCity.org. That's J-A-I-M-E, initial P for Patino. Jaime P at UnionCity.org. And Council Member Scott Sakakihara, Scott S at UnionCity.org. That's Scott S at UnionCity.org. Finally, voice your concern to the Chief of Police, Jared Renetti, Police Chief at UnionCity.org. That's police chief at unioncity.org. And if you missed any of that information, you can simply go to the Union City website, unioncity.org, and look up the contact information for the city council. Specifically, your concern to Mayor Carol Dutra Vernacci, Council Member Jaime Patino, and Council Member Scott Sakagihara, the three that voted contrary to the will of the people, but in favor of this recreational marijuana store. Online at UnionCity.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we are back. Not that we ever went anywhere. 522, we continue on the Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Let's turn a corner in our ongoing series entitled... Leading ladies, discover your God-grown strategy for success. We've been talking to a number of the authors that have been contributory to this book and helping to encourage women in their life, in their ministry, in their relationship with the Lord. Joining me now is co-lead author of this new book. Happy to have with us on the program, Lisa Burris-Burns. Lisa, great to have you join us. Thank you, Craig. It's so good to be with you tonight. This is going to be a subject matter today that we're going to dive into that I think a lot of uh, a lot of women are going to relate to. And, and it's going to run the gambit of those that say, I like my life organized and in the proper order. I like it when it's secure and predictable because that means it's safe. I, I don't like to have, uh, you know, too much thrown at me at the last minute. And so when chaos and disorganization comes my way, 
boy, I don't know what to do. Then there's the other group, and this also, I think, uniquely fits a lot of your own background, where that it kind of extends into the sense of wanting to have control, you know, for an artist and those that are eavesdropping right here today that, you know, maybe your art could be literal artwork on a canvas or artwork as you write or artwork as you perform. There's a degree to which you want to have that control. You want to be able to put your best foot forward. But then things will come along that will throw all that off. (laughs) And sometimes you get so caught up in just trying to keep everything together that you reach a point in life where suddenly you wake up one day and say, I don't know where I am, I don't know why I am, and I don't know what I'm doing. What's happened? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, most women, I would say, we're very used to wearing multiple hats. We're used to running different directions. We're, we're flexible. I don't know a woman on the planet uh, that would say different. Uh, but there is an element of not having things just right and perfect. If it's not just right, if it doesn't line up with what I imagine it should be, then I'm just going to pass on it. And I think sometimes when we do that, when we confine all of our experience to what we find predictable and secure and to be counted upon, we often miss out on some of the most exciting parts of our journey with our creator. Um, I know from my own experience, I grew up being the kind of kid, I was one of those typical firstborn kids. I, I had to get it right. I had to do it properly. I wanted everyone to be pleased. I had to keep it in order. But you know, I have to be honest. I was also, without realizing at that time, often prone to daydreaming and imagination and I would always be trying to keep myself in line it wasn't very fun sometimes but I felt like it was the right thing to do and you know as you grow older you start to realize there are a lot of possibilities out there but sometimes we always choose the safe possibility or the thing that makes sense Um, I'm here to tell you that if you'll just look for those possibilities that maybe you could just say what if what if i just stepped into this realm and tried something new um i believe god will meet you right there i really do you know that can be so fearful though for some people that you know as you point out a lot of women today that are engaged in raising a family in the working world they might sit on a church committee they've got you know 10,000 irons in the fire and all simultaneously and and a lot of men if they be honest would look back and say I just don't know how you do it I it's enough for me to get home at the end of the business day flop down on the couch and that's it I'm done and yet mom comes home she's already been by the grocery store on the way back from the office, gotten home, began to prepare dinner, uh, get the kids in bed, and uh, you know might, might not uh, might not see her head hit the pillow until ten or eleven o'clock at night, and, and then get up the next morning and repeat it all over again. And and so w- with that kind of schedule, I think Lisa, the sense of wanting to have control makes sense in the flesh, but it really it really limits our relationship. With God, and I would suppose hampers our ability to really understand what surrender and trust is all about if you want to control every nanosecond of what you're doing. Right, and it does. You know, God loves us so much, and uh, he, he 
knows the things that we're going to balk at, the things that we're going to say, oh, no, that's not for me. I think the amazing part about this whole process of walking and journeying with him is that as we continue to walk closer to him, gaining more and more of his insights as we follow him, I believe that is part of a trust process, as you were describing, where we just have to be willing to look outside of the box. And it's not just the box that we put ourselves in. We kind of put God in a box when we say to him, I'm just a wife, or I'm just a Sunday school teacher, or I just serve in the, the lunch line at my kid's school. We put God in a box. He is a God of possibility. He's put everything within us for our everyday right now journey. We don't have to look any further than right where we are to be a woman of influence, whether that's with our family, with our coworkers, at our local church. And I believe that sometimes it just, life hits us. You know, we have life really happen. Uh, about an hour and a half ago, I was picking up my husband on the side of the road because life happened. Our car quit on the side of the road. And you know, there are things like that that come at us. And then there are things that really quite shake us to our core. Uh, things like perhaps a terminal illness, things like the death of a child, uh, maybe you lose a job and you've had decades in this profession and you have to start over again. When life hits us out of nowhere and things just don't line up anymore, what is our response? And I had to finally get to the point with some very serious moments in my life where I had to just say, God, I don't know what's ahead. I know that in the past I've depended upon this and this and this. But it doesn't look like I can depend on that anymore. You're not taken off guard. I need to have hope knowing that you are not unsettled by this change. Whatever you have for me, I'm open. Open my eyes, open my heart, open my mind to see something new and fresh from you. And, you know, whenever life happens like that and you pray that prayer, he does meet you. If we're willing to open our eyes and our hearts, he can give us different paths to go down. Writing this book with my good friend Amber was one of those paths I never would have imagined going down. I wasn't a writer by profession. As a matter of fact, I've been a vocalist, a singer, an actress for decades. And for me, writing was something I didn't even know if I'd be good at. I knew I could communicate well. Um, I had a, an illness that happened. I started getting some pretty serious diagnosis uh, that took my health into a way where I just couldn't keep up with the things I'd done in the past. And lo and behold, God started opening up doors to do things I never imagined doing just because I prayed that simple prayer. Whatever you have next, keep my eyes open and my heart open to go and do what you put in front of me to do. And so much of this is really about learning how to surrender along the way. And, you know, certainly to, to not be disingenuous here, uh, full acknowledgement that it's not always easy and that there are some ways in which you surrender in the small things that's not all that challenging to do. And then there's other things that you're surrendering that are big 
and very difficult to do and almost become part of a process as opposed to a singular event as you you kind of you know inch by inch uh, let go and let God take control and yet in those moments when you're able to do so that's really when you can see God move glorify himself in your life and use you in a great way but but oftentimes you know we we have to slip and stumble and fall in order to be picked up if you've just joined us lisa burris burns with us today co-lead author of leading ladies discover your god-grown strategy for success lisa as she mentioned is um, professionally a vocalist and performance coach as well as now a writer and speaking coach and she's an award-winning contributor to leading hearts magazine where she also serves as co-host of coffee chat with amber and lisa podcast we'll take a brief time out come back to more of our conversation as a Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our delightful and insightful conversation with Lisa Burris Burns continues, co lead author of Leading Ladies Discover Your God Grown Strategy for Success. Now, Lisa, some eavesdropping right now might say, I'm okay if the dishwasher broke and flooded the kitchen. I I get perhaps if the refrigerator died and spoiled all the frozen food that I bought just yesterday. I can accept the fact that my admin assist at work quit because I wanted to fire him anyway. I understand if my husband forgot, using the air quotes, forgot to tell me that his biggest customer is coming to our home for a home-cooked meal. But did it all have to happen today? (laughs) Exactly. You know, things do uh, tend to happen all at once, don't they? I know there's that old uh, saying, things things happen in threes. Well, no, sometimes they happen in five, six, 15, whatever. Um, I feel like oftentimes, because we want things to be neat and tidy, when things get turned upside down, um, we start to keep score, keep score of the difficulties. And in the process of keeping score of the difficulties, instead of paying attention to how God brings us through to the other side of those moments, because we do get to the other side, um, some of those things are harder to get through, some of those much easier. But when we start to keep score of those difficulties, Instead of keeping score of God's faithfulness in the process of walking through those moments with us, we're never left alone in those moments. I feel our eyesight gets off of him. And in an all honesty, it does something to our own ability to see the hope and the possibility in something new and something different. Do you find sometimes that that God will allow circumstances, as, as much as we, we talked earlier about the notion of so often wanting to stay in control, and I get that. I mean, you're, you're a performer. When you get up in front of a crowd, you want to make sure that the pianist is going to be on tune, that the sound system is not going to be wailing and, and, and feeding back, you know, all, all of these things. And I can certainly relate to, to so much of that from a broadcaster standpoint. But, but I'm curious, have you found there are times in your life, Lisa, where as much as you struggle to try to maintain control, that God allows circumstances to happen that forces you further out of control in order to get your attention, in order to begin to convince you and persuade you that learning how to surrender and trust him in your comings and goings all the time is really the ideal that he wants for us. We're just too stubborn, I think, sometimes to recognize that. 
Exactly. I think we are too stubborn. And, and I feel like it takes getting to that point. Like I said, life, life hits us in different degrees of severity, right? Um, we were talking about just a second ago, my husband on the side of the road with a car not working. That's totally different from going through some of the hardships of life that it, it, it's very difficult to walk forward after. Yeah, the, the car not working is an irritant, but being yes, diagnosed with cancer or finding out that you've got a, uh, a child that has decided uh, exactly. you know, a life of crime is what they'd like to choose. Those are really the, the faith-shaking experiences, aren't they? they? They are. And when you get to those moments where you absolutely have no answers, I have no answers, Lord. I don't have any. I don't see a way out of this. When we actually get to that point and we have to pray from a very, a very raw place where we say, God, I don't know what's going to happen. But at this moment, I am giving you all of my trust that you are going to work things out for the good of those who love you and serve you. And so, God, right now, I'm asking you to help me with my unbelief that this is going to get better. And help me with the frame of my mind and my heart that has me stuck in this depression, in this sadness, in this fear. Help me see the possibility of tomorrow. That sun's going to come up out there. And you are in that sun coming up in that next day. Um, I feel like when we totally have to get to that point in, in prayer, in our relationship with him, have nothing left, Jesus. I really don't see how you're going to make this work. All I know is I'm putting my faith and trust in you. When you get to that point, I feel like there's this really very special moment that happens where we open our mind and our heart to the possibility that the Creator really does have an answer. He really does hold us in the palm of His hand. It may not look exactly like we thought it was going to look, but we have faith and hope that He is there with us through the remainder of the journey. And I do think that coming to those moments where you don't see a way out really does put us in a place to fully lean on God for everything we need to get through that time. And you know, it's amazing. I think we've all been through this when there are moments in life where everything is just working perfectly and smoothly, when everything is firing on all eight cylinders, as the saying goes, we are less inclined to seek his face. We are less inclined to dive into the word. We are less inclined to be on our knees in prayer. Because, well, we don't need them. Everything is going well. And then suddenly those tragedies come along, those challenges in life, and we're once again driven to the Word, driven to our knees. And I think maybe the ultimate message here is beyond the fact that life happens, we are only strangers passing through this this side of the veil anyway. So we have to be mindful that even though 80 or 90 years on earth seems like forever, it's just a blink of an eye in comparison to all of eternity. But when you consider the fact that it's in those difficult moments that the one commonality that we seem to have is to seek him. Maybe the bigger message here is that God is suggesting that he so yearns for relationship with us and wants to walk in fellowship with us, that he was willing to sacrifice his only son on the cross to provide a means by which we might be reconciled, forgiven, the relationship restored, 
then maybe the real message here is that in all of these experiences, all God is asking for us is to hug a little closer, be a little tighter, and to enter into that that relationship with him, to labor to enter into his rest. And when you finally get to that point, Craig, where you can honestly um, be in that intimate place with God and trusting Him wholeheartedly, um, when you get to that point, um, all of a sudden your eyes see differently, your heart sees differently. And like I said, He can then at that point start to open your, your mind to possibilities that you never thought of before opportunities to say yes to that maybe you'd never said yes to before. Yeah, a little bit of exercising of the faith muscle goes a long way, doesn't it? It does, it does. Lisa Burris-Burns, co-lead author of Leading Ladies, Discover Your God-Grown Strategy for Success. Newly published by Bold Vision Books, available through Christian bookstores, certainly through Amazon.com, and uh, also information available at LeadingHearts.com. That's LeadingHearts.com. Our thanks to Lisa Burris-Burns for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. All right, when we come back, we're going to unfold why it might be high time for your church to think about a security ministry. What exactly does that mean, Craig? Well, we'll talk about it coming up next with Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute. A very special seminar will be available to you and your church. Details to follow as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you watch the news or read the newspaper, uh, you're undoubtedly aware of the fact that our society, our culture is changing, changing pretty rapidly, and not all the change is good, as you know. One of the big issues that has alarmed people, and we've seen this taking place almost on a, a hyper-speed, um, <laughs> hyper-warp speed here in the Bay Area, and that is a rise in incidences of violence. So you talk about mass shootings taking place in the Bay Area, across the nation, public schools, universities, concert venues, workplaces, and yes, even even churches. And I understand some listening right now might say, well, Craig, it's never happened to our church. Or at our church, we do things differently. In our church, in God, we trust. And we're not going to suggest in the next few minutes that we not trust the Lord. But, you know, there's a reason why you keep health insurance. You have insurance on your automobile. You have insured your home. But what about safety insurance for your church? Think about the fact that we gather together every Sunday morning, all facing forward, and yet the door, the entrance to the church is all behind us, and you never know who might walk through that door. An active shooter that has an axe to grind, a homeless person that's in distress or high on drugs, somebody that intends to come and rob the congregation. How can you best protect your church against these threats? It is, unfortunately, a topic that we need to be having, a discussion we need to be having in 2023. To help us have it, we're joined now by the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer, Brad Dacus, and counselor. Always a delight to have you with us. This is, um, this is a bit of an interesting foray that uh, Pacific Justice Institute is, is looking into. I know that for many, many years that 
that there's been an effort to not only defend the First Amendment rights of individuals, people of faith, certainly of churches, and and to protect them, but also to uh, to make sure that they understand the totality of of the laws that are available uh, at their disposal when we talk about certain protections for churches. But this is protection of a whole new sort. How did this get on your radar screen, and why do you believe that this is so critically important? Well, you know, we at Pacific Justice uh, always look for you know, asking the question, what are the needs? And what we noticed, Craig, unfortunately, that there was a, a steady and there is a steady increase across the nation in violence against uh, churches as well as synagogues, uh, for that matter. And it's not going away. Uh, there is uh, the, the continued increase in, in animosity and hostility and even hate against people of faith and institutions of faith is rising, not not falling. It's uh, spurred on partly by uh, policies in our public schools, et cetera, that uh, facilitate uh, hateful and animosity feelings, uh, not feelings of tolerance towards uh, people of faith and people who have uh, beliefs and convictions of faith. So this is something we identified. We saw the fruits of it. We saw, we looked at it. It wasn't a one time. It wasn't, a, you know, a short. It's something in lo- a long term problem, and that's why we jumped in. Uh, to uh, to equip churches who are so vulnerable across the country, and you know, as I mentioned, we we tend to think, well, this is our refuge. This is a place of rest. This is where we go to worship. This, of all places, ought to be as safe as our own home, if not even safer, because at church we feel the presence of the Lord. And I'm certainly not diminishing um, anybody who feels that way, but the, the reality of the world around us, uh, everything that goes. On on outside of the four walls of the church, as I suggested earlier, is getting pretty serious. I mean, you can't drive on the freeway in the Bay Area without wondering whether or not you're going to be the unfortunate victim in the crossfire of a couple of fools that are shooting each other, you know, shooting at each other as they make their way up the 880 freeway. And so for the church that says, as I suggested earlier, hey, we trust in God, we don't need this. Well, what do you, what do you say to them? How do you respond to that? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, really what they're doing is they're, they're testing God. Uh, you know, God didn't say you're, uh, that you're not going to be attacked. Uh, God didn't, and never promised that you're not going to be persecuted. Uh, and in fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, For indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we know that's a given. Uh, and so it's not fair to put uh, a promise on God that he didn't give us instead. Yeah, he'll be with us always, and he'll never leave us or forsake us, but he also has given us a mind, and he also says, be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. Uh, be watchful for those things that are around you, and further on in Second Timothy uh, chapter 3 into chapter 4. So um, so these are, you know, we, we need to be prudent. And, and the, the, the good news is that, you know, we, there are things that we can do out of love for our children, for our families, for our community, uh, to to provide that protection, and that's what we did by uh, providing a training video on our website to Zoom, uh, specifically with uh, expertise to help empower churches. And we'll go in and answer specific questions and, and counsel for churches without charge to make sure that they're doing all that they need to do to uh, protect their congregation 
and, uh, and and their property, for that matter. So we think about children's ministry. We think about singles ministry. Um, we, we certainly think about, uh, you know, uh, music program, things of that sort. It, it's almost as if the, the, the safety of the church, that's almost an additional branch or another uh, aspect of ministry that you can invite people within the church. Uh, hopefully those that got a little bit of a background, maybe you're a retired police officer, even an active police officer, somebody that's worked in uh, as a security guard or in other forms and fashion that might be an ideal fit for something like this. I guess the question for many is they say, well, Brad, this is all new to us, and I get what you're saying, but how do we go to about even ascertaining what this looks like? Are you suggesting we need to go out and hire armed guards to stand at the front of the church? How does all of this work? Uh, uh, they don't need to go out and hire armed guards. Uh, there's other ways of dealing with it, particularly depending on the, the size of the church. But having members of your church, for example, uh, with you know level temperaments, be trained with firearms, uh, so that there there can be you know two or three and every uh, church service that has a concealed weapon that's trained in how to use it. Not not everyone is cut out to have a concealed weapon. I will say that right up front. Uh, but you know the church I attend is a small church, but every every service there's there's two or three that have concealed weapons, um, and then you know, and then also someone in the greeting. Uh, when they greet people at multiple levels, from the parking lot to the front doors to the lobby, coming in, having them trained on what to look for, um, you know, to uh, you know what what to, to to spot, what may be a concern, how to deal with people who are maybe disruptors, who or you know distinguish them from people who are just lost and, and are seeking and uh, you know may may stand out but are not there to disrupt. So these are all the kinds of issues we deal with in our training video, which is available for free on our website under under the category churches. Just go to pji.org, and people can get that, and we'll be happy to answer any questions. Uh, but the, the good news, no matter how big the church is, there's things that they can do outside cameras and, uh, and policies and things like that that we can uh, really help um, increase the safety and and the assurance of people wanting to attend their church. And, you know, as much as yes, to a degree, we, we wish to certainly uh, quietly disturb you into thinking and praying about this and, and whether or not there are certain vulnerabilities that your church is facing that need to be addressed. Be mindful that it also doesn't necessarily have to mean somebody coming in from the outside that has, you know, angst against the pastor or an axe to grind against the, the church. It could be something as simple as a couple in the church that are engaged in a bitter divorce and there is a child custody dispute and one of the spouses doesn't like how the judge has ruled and so they're going to come and have it out and they know that the spouse will be at church on Sunday morning maybe you've refused to answer the door so they figure well the one place they can confront you will be at church and all of a sudden now you've got a very uncomfortable threatening scenario that could not only threaten the safety of that parishioner but the entire congregation how do you react what do you do are your ushers well prepared to know how to to intervene so that ultimately the safety of everybody inside of that building everybody in that congregation is being protected to the greatest degree possible and uh, you know i think it's just a wise thing to do given the changing world in which we live if you want to get more information and again uh, brad you mentioned that this this uh, course this webinar is absolutely free all folks need to do is go to the Pacific Justice Institute website at pji.org, and it's under the Churches tab, is that correct? 
Uh, it's under the church's tab. That is correct, and along with other very valuable resources to help churches, all without charge. And uh, always a good location to bookmark, because I think once you get there and start poking around on the Pacific Justice website, you'll find out there's a treasure drove of resources available to you, and as Brad Dacus mentioned, absolutely without charge. So check them out. Get information available at Pacific Justice Institute, simply pji.org. Check out the Churches tab, and you'll find information regarding the security webinar, again, under the Churches tab at pji.org. Our thanks to Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute for that update. Okay, we're going to take a bit of a timeout. Time for Craig to go grab a fresh cup of tea, and then we're going to be back. Hour number two on the Wednesday edition of Lifeline unfolds before your shell-like ears as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.